pray with me? Loving God, we give you thanks for gathering us to this space together. We give you thanks that you have knit us together as your community so that we can dive into your word, we can to experience you and experience your, your will for us and your desire for us and how we ought to live. We give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, who walk amongst us, who taught us, who taught in parables. And in your spirit, we give thanks to help us understand them. As we dive into your parables this day, help us. Help us to hear them anew, find ourselves in them, find your truth in them, so that we might be transformed by your presence. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The first scripture reading is from Psalm 126, and it can be found in the Pew Bible on page 572. The Harvest of Joy. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. When our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap, the, reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with the shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. We continue reading in the Gospel of Mark. We're moving forward to chapter 4. Jesus is teaching in parables. We're going to read selected passages from the, from the chapter 4 starting from verses 1 through 9, then 26 to 29, and 33 to 34. Again, Jesus began teaching to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables. In his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, let anyone with ears to hear listen. Jumping forward to verse 26. He also said the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. With many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Jesus talked and taught in parables. Mark says Jesus only taught in parables, but we have other teachings in the Gospels that say otherwise. But the, God, the parable was Jesus' primary way when he wasn't talking with the, the disciples, when he wasn't in private, when he was talking to crowds of people, he taught in parables. Now, one way of looking at this, one way of thinking about this, and one way that I was taught as a kid was the parables were these simple stories that Jesus used so that you could understand what he was trying to say. And in some ways, there's some truth to that. When Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven and how it is taking root in the world and how transformation happens and how he is going to be the redemption of the world, that's a lot of complexity to try to explain just forthright. And people still wouldn't get it. So he taught in parables, trying to uh, convey complex truths so that people would understand them. But he also recognized that most people listening would not understand the parables themselves. So whether he was teaching directly or whether he was teaching in parables, the people who were listening, the crowds of people, only some would fully understand. And we get the sense in the Gospel of Mark where people don't understand who Jesus is or his teaching until after the resurrection. It's only after Jesus has died on the cross, after Jesus rises again, after evil has been conquered, after all is made clear that Jesus' teaching would even make full sense. And so we're reading this parable, these parables, after the fact, after the revealing of Christ himself and his redemption. And yet, Many of us, myself included, can read these parables and say, I have no idea what this is talking about. And if that's you today, if that's you ever in reading the scripture, you're in good company. Because if we had it all figured out, if we could explain it in simple terms, if we had ways of just conveying the information, there would be no need for gathering in community. If you could just download it all and read it all and fully understand it, there would be no need to come together to struggle with the scriptures, to dive into them, to understand them, to challenge each other and say, what are you seeing in these? And either agree or disagree and have the conversation. If scripture were easy to understand, it would not be conveying the complexity of who God is. And what God has done. And so it's okay if we don't understand. The other beauty of the parables is because of their nature, because of the variety of ways that you could read it and understand it, because they can mean various things, and we do struggle with that, we can find God's truth in different ways. God's spirit, God's God's word can speak to us in different ways when we read each passage, each parable, because we find different details that stand out from one time to the next. Now, some would be uncomfortable with this ambiguity. Scripture should, they would say, is scripture should mean this. This is what the parable says. This is what these things mean. This is what the seed is. This is what the sower is. This is what the, the field is and the grain is and all of that. And there should be only one meaning, or else how do we prevent it from meaning whatever we want? It's a valid criticism. 
though the answer is not to may say that this each parable only has one meaning and one way of understanding it, but the answer is that we check our readings, we check our interpretations, we check our applications against one another. It prevents us from running wild with an interpretation of Scripture that ultimately runs counter of who God is and God's nature when somebody else begins to call us on it. So again, the reading of the Scriptures, the understanding of the parables in the midst of the crowd themselves, in struggling with the understanding, in struggling with the meaning, the answer is community. The answer is learning together. The answer is growing together. So this particular parable, the parable of the sower, many of you may have heard it before. You might have heard sermons like the one I'm giving now, the interpretations and the readings of it I'm giving now. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've heard other ones and said, well, that's what it meant. What are, what's, what's he talking? But as I read this parable, this is what I was coming up with this time. And again, that's the beauty of the story. We talk about the sower. Jesus was talking to an agrarian society, a group of farmers. They would know how to set, prepare the soil. They would know how to mark their fields and mark them away from thorny ground and get rid of thorns in, in, in the field. They would get rid of rocks so that the soil would be ready to receive the, 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 the seed. They would have part they would have paths marked well. They wouldn't just scatter seed in whatever place that it could. The reason for that is most harvests on most years, the average harvest would produce about four times as much seed as was planted. The return would be fourfold on an average year. On a good year, maybe eightfold. So eight times the amount of seed on a good year versus what was put in. And the, the seed that didn't have to be kept for the next year to set aside from the next year would be used to either feed their family or to sell so that they could feed their families and live. Seed was precious. Seed was held onto. It was treated right. It was kept from year to year so that, so that the new harvest would come, knowing that if the seed failed, if the harvest failed, if it didn't produce as much as they could, they could go hungry, they could lose income, and things would be hard for the next year. So farmers like this, who would hear of this sower carelessly throwing the seed, carelessly chucking it among the, the path, among rocks, among thorns, would be appalled they'd at least be surprised by it. Yet here the sower is, carelessly casting the seed to places that the average farmer would know it's not going to grow well. But he did it anyway. And they're already questioning this. I imagine as they're hearing the story, they're hearing the parable, things are starting to, to, to raise questions, to raise objections. And that's where the parables start to work. When you hear the parable, when you hear it with knowledge and understanding of how the, the, how the world works, or how it usually works, 
and that switch from this is how it normally works to wait, that's not quite right. That's the catch. That's what's meant to grab you. That's what's to say, here, pay attention to this. Because something is going on. And they've caught the, 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 the people's attention. Jesus has caught the people's attention about the sower sowing the seed. What they think is normal seed to begin with. In unusual places. And as they're questioning that, the parable talks about how the seeds would grow and, 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 and the expected things happen. On the path, nothing grows because the crows can eat it right away. In the rocky soil, they've seen it before. The seeds sprout. The seeds look like they're growing and grow new life. But when the sun comes, they wither because there's no depth. Among the thorns, the thorns crowd the seeds out so they cannot grow. They cannot outcompete the thorns for sunlight and nutrients. And so they grow. They die. And they fail to grow into, into the harvest. So all of that is normal. Normal, normal, normal normal. And then in the field, in the place that has been prepared, in the place that is ready to receive the seed, the unexpected. This seed that has been cast in all of these other places and failed, as expected, produces a bumper crop, not fourfold like an average year, not eightfold like a good year, but sixtyfold 80-fold, 100-fold. The unusual thing is the seed. You have an unusual sower who's sowing indiscriminately. You have an unusual seed that produces an abundance of growth and new yield. And these are the things that would catch the people's eyes or ears and imaginations. They would, they would question, well, what is it this, that is this seed? What is it about this seed? that makes it grow so much? And what is it about this farmer that would cast indiscriminately and not pay attention to where the seed is growing? And these are the questions that they're left with at the end of the parable. They're left with these things. They're left with soil that behaves normally. They're left with seeds that, and seed in a farmer that, that behaves abnormally. And that's all they get. When you read the Gospels, that's all the crowd gets. Now, part that we skipped over was a little bit of Jesus explaining to the, to the disciples. They come to him and say, what in the world does this parable mean? And Jesus tells them, well, this is this and this is that. But the crowd gets the story. One thing that kept popping into my mind is that sometimes we think, when we think about the story, we lose sight of the ground. We lose sight of the various parts, the ways the earth is prepared or not. We have the path, we have the, the, the stones, the rocky ground, we have the thorny ground, and then we have the field. And we think there's only a path, and the path is always the path. The rocky ground is always the rocky ground. The thorny ground is always the thorny ground, and the field is always the field. But here, too, we know that not to be true. I was thinking of when I was in college, I know I'm going back, there was paths that usually students walked. 
and they were paved, and that's usually where students walked, except one thing happened roughly my junior year. They built a new building. They built a new building, and all of a sudden, what students started taking a different pathway than they used to. They would start cutting across what was once a green, a green area with grass, and they would cut through that. And they tried to put pathways in where they wanted students to walk to get to this new building and this new construction. But students, being what they are on the way to class as late as they usually are, or as quickly as we usually were, would make our own paths. You wanted the shortest route between two buildings because you were usually late wherever you needed to go. And so as the, spring, or as the fall semester began with this new building, and as the students were cutting their own path, what once was green and grassy is now hardened and is turned into a footpath. So the ground doesn't stay the same. A farmer preparing a brand new field begins with rocky soil, begins with thorny soil, begins with soil full of trees and down trees and stumps and rocks, and through hard work and care and through all of this transformation over time, through fertilization and, 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 and care, what once was thorny ground and rocky ground becomes a verdant field ready for the seed. Weeds do not always stay where they grow. Now, when I was a kid and when I was helping my grandmother with her garden, if she dared ask me to help her, because I really couldn't tell the difference between a weed, a flower, or a plant that she wanted to be there. And so if she wanted what she planted to stay, stay there, sometimes it wasn't safe to ask me to help her weed. But the thorns don't stay where they're unwanted. They can be removed. They can be the, the things that would crowd out the seed and prevent it from taking root can be removed. So what if, what if we focused on the ground this time? What would it mean to look at the ground, not as something static? Oh, there are, good, there are bad people, there are evil people, there are people that sprout quickly but are shallow and have no death, and then there are really good people who receive the word and, and, and grow, and that's the way the parable is meant to be read. Those people stay in the lanes that they're in. That's the way it's been decided from the beginning. That's the way it'll be. But instead, what if we saw ourselves as the ground? Can you imagine or remember a time in your life where you were the pathway, hardened, unable to receive the seed, unable to receive what has been cast, and so it just withers? Can you remember a time where you received it? You received the good news. You heard it almost for the first time. But there were other things in the way. The ground was not prepared. Maybe it grew for a little while. You started reading your Bibles more. You started saying, oh, I really like this. You started diving in at first. But after a little while, nothing really changed. You didn't grow roots. You tried to do it all yourself. You didn't connect. You didn't go deep. And so the growth that you saw at first withered away and disappeared. Maybe you were among the thorns. Life's worries, life's challenges, 
too many competing ideas or too many competing attentions pulling you from side to side, crowding out, taking what nutrients you had available to you, time and energy, and take all of those things pulling you away so that there was absolutely nothing left for the seed to grow. And maybe there were times when you were the field, you had taken care to remove the thorns. You had taken care to remove the rocks. You had taken care to, to till the soil so that it wasn't this hardened, compact earth where nothing could grow. And the seed fell. The seed took root. It grew. And out of that, out of that abundance, out of that growth within you, the harvest grew. Fourfold, eightfold, sixtyfold, eightyfold, a hundredfold. The ripples of your actions, the ripples of your words, the ripples of your transformation could spread and you could see it. Now, again, you didn't stay in any one of those place, ways. The soil transformed. Maybe perhaps there was a time where you were producing that growth that transformation, and somebody came through and began to, to, to walk on the field, to trample on it, harden it. Life happened to take what once was fertile, what once was, was, was soft and, and, and life-giving, and through the actions of others, through their words, through their deeds, what once was soft and malleable became hardened again just like that grassy area that students would walk across, that as it got walked on and trampled on and stepped on so many times throughout the day by so many people, hardened to the point where grass would no longer grow. And it was no longer green and life-given, but a hardened path. The soil changes. Life changes it. We change it. We prepare ourselves. We help prepare others. We live it out. Life can trample us and tread hard on us. And it's easy to think that if you had it and you lost it, you're never getting it back. Or you've never had the growth. You've never had the transformation that you're stuck as a path or stuck as stony ground. You grow in spurts and then it dies and you grow in spurts and then it dies and then you grow in spurts and then it dies. It's easy to think that that's the way it's always going to be. But what we know is this, the seed is plentiful. There is nothing wrong with the seed. It grows to a harvest of a hundredfold. The sower is plentiful. The sower scatters the seed on all of the soil types. The, the sower scatters the seed, not caring where it will grow or where it won't grow, not keeping it only for the select few, but casts it everywhere. Maybe what we need to focus on now, trust in the seed, trust in the sower, but focus on the type of soil that we're creating and that we are. Are we beating people down and beating ourselves down and trotting on ourselves so much that the soil is ground and the seed fails? Do we do things in spurts 
so that new life begins but ultimately remains shallow because it's not enough to sustain it? Do we need to clean out some thorns that compete for our attention and time and energy? Do we need to make a space for the seed to be planted and to grow? Are we ultimately transforming ourselves, this place, our ministries, and helping other people to become the soil that is ready to receive the seed? So that's ultimately what I want to leave you with today. Where are you? Where have you been? Have you been those different types of soil at different times? If you looked at yourself now and you were honest with yourself, where would you place yourself? Have you been one of the other ones before? And what would it take? What changes? What transformation? What new way of living? Or an old way of living? Would it take to go from where you are to where you want to be? And how can we help each other on that path? As you think about that this week, as you grab some coffee before you head back out into the cold air again, get warm and get warm by the coffee, get tea or, or, or each other's company. Maybe talk about a few of those things and begin to till the soil and prepare it for new growth and transformation and ultimately new life. Amen. This week, as many of you know, it snowed. Surprising. But we were still able to host a number of groups that meet in our building, providing a warm space, providing a welcoming space. One group that comes to mind is the AA group that meets here every Wednesday night. And they meet here rain or shine, snow or storm, because when you are struggling with addiction, when you are struggling with overcoming that addiction, you don't know what those treasures may, triggers may be. It could be a snowstorm. It could be being stuck at home with no place to go. And those are the precise times when having a meeting space, having a meeting that you go to with other people, having that available is incredibly important. And so because of your giving, because of our, the ways that our building and the ways that we have everything set up so that we know that our parking lot is plowed and ready to go because the, the, the sidewalks are salted and cleared, those who come to our building come to this space for warmth, for community, for growth, like the AA group, can continue to meet. And that does have a cost. Now, there are good years, the last couple of years, when we have not had any snow. I will admit that that has been wonderful for the budget, because every snowstorm costs us money. But the fact that we can be here, because we can build into that, because we can have um, money set aside for those purposes, we can still be that place. We can still be that welcoming, open place where people may come and where we can gather for worship, knowing that everything is safe and secure and ready to go. That's only possible. Creating that place, that sense of community, in the midst of the world's snowstorms, in the midst of all of life's challenges, is only because of your generosity. Those who, of you who give in person, those who, of you who give online or through the mail, however it may be, enable us to do what we are doing and be who we are called to be in our community. And for that, I give you thanks.
a few moments, I'll invite the ushers to come forward, receive any gifts that you would like to give this day to continue that work, to be a part of that work. And knowing that they will can be, be combined with all those gifts that do come in in various ways and various times and in various forms, all come together just like us as a people to be God's people and his witness in our world. Let us pray together the offering prayer printed in your bulletin. Divine Gardener, we present our offerings as humble seeds in the vast expanse of your kingdom. Like the sower's scattered grains, let our generosity find fertile ground, producing a bounty of hope and healing. May our gifts take root in the lives of others, fostering a garden of joy that blossoms in unexpected places. Amen. We are indeed a community. You knit together by God's love, God's calling, and a desire to see others come to know the joy and the peace that Christ offers. And to take what it has done for us so that they might experience for themselves. And as one body, we pray for one another. We lift one another up, we celebrate God's goodness, and we stand beside each other in life's challenges. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all that you have done, for all the ways that you have blessed us, for warmth in the midst of cold, for safety in the midst of hazards, for security, for good care, for loving neighbors and friends, for all the ways that you remind us of your presence and your love for us. We give you thanks. Help us to be mindful of your blessings, to help us see where your kingdom is taking root and be glad and rejoice for every life that is transformed to seek out those places where there is justice and there is mercy and to celebrate it, but also open our eyes to see those in our midst who are hurting, those in our midst who are sick, who are lonely, who need loving care, a kind word, a gentle presence. Help us to see those places in our community, in our country, and around the world where there is injustice, where there's hatred, where there's pain and suffering. And give us the courage to speak out. Give us the wisdom to act. Help us to be your people, your seeds scattered in this world, so that we might grow and yield good fruit. We pray for those that we've lifted up this day. Lift up Bob and John. We ask that you bring your healing hands upon them. Care for them. Be with those who bring them care. And be with those who love them well. Give them the strength that they need to face the challenges ahead, whatever they may be. We lift up our community, especially all those who are hungry, all those in need, all those who are struggling with whatever challenges they face, whether it be addiction or loneliness, questions of self-worth, may we be a place where they might find comfort, guidance, welcome, and community, and love, not for who they were or who they will be, but who they are as your beloved children. And from that, take the next steps that they need to take, they want to take, to be who you called them to be. We pray for our country. Entering into a new election year and everything that entails, 
We pray for those who are feeling anxious and fearful of what may be. We pray for your guidance so that we might speak words of life, that we might be guided by your will in all things, and others may be as well. We pray for a world racked by war, pain and suffering, of sickness, of hunger, but a yes, signs of life as well. Enjoy in the midst of all of those things. May we who have much be willing to set that aside for those who have too little. We pray for those who are in harm's way because of war, who are hated or oppressed, persecuted because of who they are, what they believe, who they love, the color of their skin or their gender, or all the other ways that we divide ourselves and create barriers that you yourself tore down. In all things, we seek to live as your disciples, as your people, as those seeking after you and following you and seeking to follow you so close that we get covered by the dust that you kicked up as we follow you to where you would lead us, rather than following at a distance to make sure it's safe. This leads to uncertainty, to doubt, but give us the assurance that when we are following you, we are doing so, and that you will be with us till the end of the earth. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, who walked beside us, who loves us so much that he died for us, and whose power was so great that death was conquered, and with the grave with it. Let us place our trust in him, in all that we say, in all that we do. And we pray as he taught his disciples so long ago. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.